and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation regarding a unique community that I think you're going to be really interested in learning about. But before I introduce them to you, I always like to give a couple of shout outs. One is to invite you to Arthur's Memory Cafe, which is virtual. We meet the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month. And if you're interested, uh, just reach out to me. We meet from 1 to about 2.30, 3 o'clock Central Time. And then if you are in the Shoreview, Minnesota area, we have a Caregiver Connect program, which also offers respite for your loved ones with dementia the last Wednesday of each month from 10 to 11.30 a.m., central time. So please feel free to, um, to again, reach out to me. You can just email me at Lori, L-O-R-I at alzheimerspeaks.com. And then of course, we invite you to check out our free educational resources at alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a large variety of tools you can download and videos you can watch or audios you can listen to um, and much, much more. And then we also have our dementia map, which is a global resource directory that we invite you to check out lots of great resources listed there. And maybe you're listening and have a resource that you'd like to uh, like to list, uh, just go to dementiamap.com. And uh, it's free to go ahead and list any type of service product and tool dementia and caregiving related. We do vet them, of course, um, but feel free to do that or we have upgraded plans as well. So with no further ado, let's learn about Rockma Homes. Well, I am so excited to have the Rockma team with us here today, and I can't wait uh, to hear from each and every one of you and Leif, I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself first to our to our audience, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I just want to say thank you so much, Lori, for giving us the opportunity to come on here. I think uh, it's just so important for people in the dementia support community to be collaborative. And I just I love what you're doing with dementia maps and I look forward to Rachma getting more involved there. Um, I'm the executive director at Rock Mahomes. I've been uh, formally started in the role at the beginning of November, um, but I was the interim director um, for the past seven month, months. And I've been at Rockma for over seven years now and served in all kinds of leadership roles there. Um, prior to Rockma, um, I lived in Chicago and my fam, uh, we were involved in the developmental disability world there. Um, including serving as live-in staff um, and running a small group homes. So the transition to group home style memory care was really natural. 
Um, and I have an 11 year old, a nine year old, and my youngest will be six on Friday. And we live in Bloomington. So wonderful. Thank you. Um, Kelly, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Sure. Um, my name is Kelly Conrad. Um, right now, I am the HR and Compliance Director at RACMA. I've been with RACMA for three years um, and been in se senior services for about 10 years um, and actually got my start um, as a social worker um, and then have moved over to leadership positions. So I've done compliance, HR, marketing, and housing director type positions. Okay, great. Thank you. And Jeanette, how about you? I'm Jeanette. I've been with RACMA for three years as the director of nursing. Um, I have 40 years experience of nursing, but this is my only three years in the long-term care world. Okay, wonderful. And Rhonda, how about you? Hi. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I am a social worker at United Hospital in St. Paul right now, but I came in contact with RACMA. Oh my gosh, it has to be six, six or seven years ago, maybe more, um, when I was a community case manager. And I just love their mission and the way they access the community. So many wonderful things, but I've been in the senior care world for probably 25 years a lot of it with medical background, and I have three grown children that are all um, nurses or a physician assistant. So it's very important um, to me to be able to be part of this. Wonderful. Thank you. And Dottie, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, my name is Dottie Timmons, and I am was, am, was the wife of Emmett Timmons, and he was a client at Rockman Joy in St. Paul. Wonderful. I look forward to, to hearing more about your experience there. And Dale, how about you? Sure. Thanks so much, Lori. Yeah, I have only been a uh, part of the Rockma uh, community, I suppose, since February when, uh, or January, maybe when uh, my good friend who's been my friend since I was 17, um, I'm now 64, so it was a long time. Uh, needed some uh, a, a little more memory care assistance, and Rachma came into my world, and that's how that's that's why I'm here. It's because of him, and it's been a short time, but it's been quite quite meaningful. Okay, and do you want to introduce the tail wagon in your in your frame there? Well, now of course he's shy. That's <laughs> Sylvester. Um, eventually, he will probably come up and um, make him make his presence known, like with his face rather than just his tail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it sounds good. Thank you. And um, Tanya. Hi, I'm Tanya. Um, I came into contact with the Rachma House through my mom, who is currently a resident there. Uh, and it's been an amazing experience. Thank you. Well, uh, Leif, I'm going to have you kind of kick us off here and start you know, I know Rockman has been around almost four decades. And so can you give us a little history on kind of the the why behind, you know, even starting this this type of home? Yeah, so Rachma, um, it's an Aramaic word that means unconditional love. Um, so, um, and it's, you know, I think of it more as a verb rather than a noun. It's something that we do, um, loving unconditionally. And so it's not just the name of the organization. We have... Um, currently have three residential assisted living homes for individuals with memory loss in Minnetonka. 
but yeah, we've been around since 1984, like you mentioned. So next year is going to be our 40th anniversary. Um, so Rockmo was started by, um, her name was Shirley Shaw. Um, and she was kind of this innovative concept at the time to treat people holistically. And that was kind of her, her mission. Um, so in 1984, you know, this is an era when the nursing home business was booming um, and kind of the medical model of care was commonplace. And she saw kind of this res re regimented institutional approach as something that struck people of their dignity. And so she wanted to do something about it and kind of took a pretty radical approach for the time. Um, so, you know, I think I'll say two things about her philosophy um, and about her approach at the time. So she believed that memory care should take place in homes rather than sterile um, institutional facilities. Um, so at the time, in 1984, Rockwood was the first residential memory care in Minnesota and one of the first in all of North America. Um, so, and I think she, you know, instantly found that being in a home environment, um, you know, created this genuine sense of community and a family atmosphere. And, you know, people, you can smell the cooking and there is the bustling of people preparing food and the experience of sitting around in the living room chatting. Um, so I think she immediately found that it was a really good fit for memory care. Um, and I think the kind of the second element of Shirley's approach uh, was that she believed that care should be individualized for each person. This was long, long before person-centered practices was kind of a, you know, industry jargon. Um, and, you know, what it meant then and what it still means today at Rockma is that, you know, the, the person is at the center and what's important to them. And, you know, this is routines, food and music preferences, but also who they were before the dementia, who they are currently today and everything that they bring with them. And so that still really holds um, true. I actually recently spoke to a donor um, who admitted his mom in 19, or his aunt in 1987. Um, and at the time, you know, residential memory care was relatively unheard of. And he, um, I didn't have it in our donor database how he was connected to Rachma. So I just said, how are you connected? And he told me this story. Um, and one of his highlights at the time in 1987 was that they allowed his aunt to come in and set up the room exactly as she had it at home and paint the room and bring in her furniture. Um, and that was something that never would have happened in the nursing home. So it's left a huge mark on him. And I thought it was really cool that now 36 years later, he's still donating. And of course, this is still our practice today. So that's kind of where we've come from and what we've hung on to. Wow, that's amazing. I was in the, the developmentally disabled um, arena back in that time. And I got it, like you said, people didn't really bring in their own stuff. It was, this is what you have, and this is the room, and how many people are going to be in it. And, gotcha. and, yeah. and, and that, was, that was pretty much it. Now, tell us about, because your, your model, um, one, I want to ask, because not all smaller homes are dementia-specific. One, are you just dementia-specific, and about how many people do you have to a home? Yeah, so we are dementia-specific, so all three of our homes are strictly for memory care. Um, and our Minnetonka location currently has 14 beds. Um, Minneapolis has 10 beds, and that's a female-only facility. And then St. Paul has 10 beds. 
So we, we have the capacity to serve 34 total. Okay. And the other thing that's really unique about you guys is your financial model. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So, and I think, you know, that of course fits kind of right into kind of taking this holistic and individualized view of our residents. Um, we're taking into account their financial status as well. And we are, um, you know, very much non-discriminatory um, in Minnesota. Um, on average, only 20 to 25% of beds in assisted living are open to individuals on waivers or government assistance. Um, you know, a lot of assisted livings have, you know, a handful of assist or, or government assistance beds, but those have long waiting lists, or there is a, a minimum length of private pay requirement. So often it's two years or, or more, and, you know, two years at current rate is a quarter million dollars. So a lot of people just aren't coming to us with that kind of money. So we're often running into families who are saying, my loved one is running out of private pay funds um, at a, from a different facility saying, we're running out of private funds, but our current facility doesn't have open beds. Can you help us? But RACMA kind of flips the average on its head. Um, we currently budget for around 85% of our residents to have medical assistance. We're actually at 88% today. Um, and we have no minimum private pay requirements. So we accept government assistance on day one, with no cap. So, you know, it, of course, makes things tight and we need to rely heavily on donors um, and development to keep everything afloat, but it's a really beautiful mission. And I think there's a huge growing need, uh, especially with, uh, yeah, just the aging population today. So. Oh, I, I totally get that. In fact, I uh, told somebody the other day about your program because they're like, you know, we just found out my mom and dad, they, there's no funds. I mean, they're just, they've gone through everything and we, we don't have the money to be able to pay, you know, these fees, like you said, for two or three years before maybe getting a waiver, you know, at the end there. And it's, it really is stretching families. So I, I really want our audience to know um, how expensive housing has gotten. Um, all over the world. This isn't just here in Minnesota where we're located, um, but throughout our nation and really throughout the world, this is a, a very, very common theme that I hear over and over and over again. And so that's a really admirable because people are in need and they deserve good service. You know, um, they deserve quality of life. And uh, to me, it, it makes me very hopeful that there are communities like Rachma out there, there's just not enough of them for the need, you know, for the number of people that are in need. Um, Jeanette, I want to ask you something about, you know, clients that you serve and the demographics and kind of prior living situations that you're seeing uh, before coming to Rachma. I would say that we have as broad a spectrum of different kinds of clients and different kinds of backgrounds as we, as there are in the world. I think we become these little, these little global communities. Um, our residents, we have the ones that are on private pay and that will probably be on private pay until they pass away and there will still be money left. And then we have um, quite, not quite a few, but we have found that there are 
many people that end up in hospitals. They have been living on the streets. They don't have family connections. And the, um, the social workers at the hospital are aware of what we're able to do. And so we end up with people who have no one, have no money, come in only on a waiver, not really with clothing or anything, just the clothes on their back. And we give them a place to become a part of a family in ways that other um, large assisted livings or skilled nursing facilities just are not able to do because they feel so much more like an institution. So sometimes those people are with us for, um, we've had a couple of different gentlemen in one of our homes that have come in only for a short period of time, knowing that they were coming in on hospice and it was hospice with dementia plus some other diagnoses. And we've been able to bring them in and give them this place to live. That, um, that? That's been, it's, it's a really special part of what we do. And then there's all those people in between. Mm -hmm. How does it, how does it make you feel personally um, being part of RACMA and being able to serve on that mm -hmm. level? Um, I have throughout my many years of nursing often felt like this is a mission. Like it's, it's much more than just a job that I go to. That was very true when I was doing hospice, but I think RACMA has been um, like the pinnacle of being a mission for me because there's so many different aspects to it. Whether it's meeting the needs of people who don't have the finances or it's meeting the needs of people who don't have others or it's just meeting the needs of and teaching care partners how to reach out and be that loving support that, you know, we have these beautiful family members that are here and those, those residents get the special opportunity to have both family and care partners caring for them. But for the ones that the care partners can step in and just keep giving them that individualized care and knowing who that resident is and what they like and what they don't like. That's been just a real special treat. Oh, nice. Leif, anything you want to add to that as far as demographics and who you serve? And No, I think, I think Jeanette captured that well. You know, I think, um, I think what I what I would echo there is just that Rockman really feels like a microcosm of the surrounding community. I think the community that that creates is just really beautiful um, to see people um, interacting just like they would out in the Twin Cities and forming relationships, and hanging out together. So, or even being nicer to each other than they would in the community. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, my mom ended up in a in a nursing home uh, towards the end of her life, and uh, she lived with dementia for thirty years. And one of the things that uh, you know, and she, you know, for the most part, had a good had a good life um, living there. Uh, 
um, and we were a very close family. So, I mean, I was over there every day and, you know, same with my daughter and stuff, but there were a lot of people that didn't have visitors. And I think, you know, what I noticed from large communities to small communities is um, because I, I visit both is the small communities are a little bit more intimate and in and yet my mom still had one woman who like took her by the hand she was like 102 I think or 103 when she passed away but she was still caring for my mom who was 20 years younger than her you know and just kind of took her under her arm but my guess is in those smaller home like settings you probably see that even more just because everyone is closer and you are physically doing those meals together and you don't have 20 different tables set up all over. Um, would you say that that's true, Leif? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think kind of like in these um, circumstances that Jeanette mentioned, these people who come in with no family, um, we and the other residents truly become their family in those moments. Um, and, you know, I can't count the number of times that um, I've walked into a room and there's someone in bed on hospice and there's another resident holding that person's hand or just sitting with them. And it's, it's just a, a beautiful thing to see when it's uh, a resident and another resident. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very touching. And I think the, um, you know, I do a lot of staff training and stuff and, you know, I talk about um, staff is family by choice. You know, you're not there to take over or take away, but to support and actually become extended family. And that, to me, makes such a big difference, too, when staff understand that, um, because then it supports not just the person living, you know, in your community, but the family as well. Because families sometimes, I think, have so much guilt when someone is placed when they can't care and you you really help take that away when we're able to see how much they're loved and cared for. And that eases the guilt and I think allows um, care partners and family and friends to play their role fully instead of having that inner critic yapping in the background <laughs> and beating them up um, for what's going on. So kudos, kudos to you. Um, Kelly, I want to pull you in on this and ask you about the benefits that resident-based memory care, what do you see, uh, you know, somebody getting, you know, specific memory care um, versus displacement, let's say, at a, a skilled um, nursing home type setting? Sure. Um, what's great about our homes is if you picture the average person or the average resident that we have with dementia, if they spent their life living in a single family home, and then now that they have dementia, they move into an assisted living building for the first time, it could be really confusing that they have to walk down this long hallway to get to the dining room, not understand where that is. And it just doesn't feel like home. Like it doesn't, there's not that comfort where they feel like they're genuinely at home. Um, and, and we have that um, with our residents, um, which I think is, I think that's the best part that we have um, of having a residential home. Very neat. Leif, anything you want to add? I would think even just like the element of cooking and being able to participate in that much easier than 
in a, in a larger setting, you know, it's nice to have dining and it's nice to be served, but there's something about, I think all of us in terms of gathering in the kitchen and wanting to help if it's setting the table or, you know, stirring something up or mixing something. What, what can you add to that, Leif? Yeah, that was actually, that was going to be one of my points. So, I mean, I think um, by nature of being a home, you know, nearly everything is done in house. So, you know, there's laundry, cooking, cleaning, um, and, you know, rather than having a segregated housekeeping staff and kitchen staff, it really encourages the re resident participation. So, you know, our staff are experts on how to get the residents in to engage. And so um, they know, you know, they can get somebody folding laundry or doing basic meal preparation. Um, I always love the example of our facilities and maintenance manager. He's wonderful and knows all the residents and he'll have the residents um, out there with the leaf blower, blowing the leaves or painting the bedrooms when there's a, uh, when we need a, a fresh coat of paint. And so um, just, you know, doing everything in home really promotes that. Um, and I think just the other thing to add is, um, you know, we don't have kind of the, the hotel aesthetic that's common in long-term care facilities. And, you know, some people really want that and that's wonderful. But I think the message that we want our residents to feel is that these are real life homes. We want every sensory input to say, this is a home, this is not a workplace, this is not a hotel. Um, you know, we have a dress, dress code, but no uniforms. You know, scrubs aren't forbidden, but they're really uncommon. Um, everything, you know, kind of every element just feels like a real. I think that's beautiful. Okay. Jeanette, you had a comment? I do. I think one of the other things about having our memory care in a home, in a larger facility, they are in like a blocked off area. And it can feel like you're far more isolated, whereas our memory care, you're entering the memory care when you enter the gated yard and then into the home. So you're never really separating yourself from the people who don't need memory care. Okay. And I think there's that first, it, it's a stigma for people that are not quite as far along in their dementia. Okay, that and that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Leif, how are staff trained, you know, to to deal with memory care? I mean, we hear terms like universal care, you know, which means somebody who does everything in the house. Um, how do you how do you go about that? Yeah, well, we lean. We have many um, many influences. Um, and I'm, I'm going to pass that off to Kelly, who actually does the bulk of the training. Um, and she'll be able to kind of give give the, the detailed look. Yeah, sure. Happy to. Um, we do four days of classroom training with a combination of some videos and some in-person presentations. Um, included with that is eight hours of dementia training for all new staff because we are a dementia care facility. Um, and then after that, our staff do three days of shadow shifts where the first time they're watching or observing somebody doing their job. And then the next two days, they're doing it with somebody watching them to make sure that they're doing it right. Um, and we want to make sure that our staff feel confident and comfortable when they're starting. So if we have somebody that needs an extra day or two of training before they feel comfortable to do that, then we're happy to make that happen for them. 
Um, and one of the things that's really important for us to include also is training for that, that person-centered care piece to make sure we're letting our staff know that this is how and why we want RACMA to be different and teaching them what is the difference or why is it important for us to do things that are important to the resident and important for the resident? Uh, and what what is the difference with those things? Um, yeah. Anything else that you can think to add to that, Life? You know, I think um, we're uh, very much, um, very much believers in Tipa Snow's uh, positive approach. Um, we actually had her come in 2019 to, um, we hosted an event with her um, and we use a lot of those videos. We um, similarly uh, are very much into uh, dementia friends. And we recently had all of the leadership team uh, be trained as dementia champions. And so that means that we're, we are all able to give the trainings ourselves. Um, a few months ago, we had a, um, we Kelly did a whole series of dementia friends training. I think within the past three months, she's um, had I think about seventeen new dementia friends um, join us, and then we're um, pushing to have all of our new staff come through as dementia friends. But really, really wanting to focus on uh, dementia care training and not just providing boilerplate, but really getting into the details. So. I like that. I, uh, you know, I do a lot of training myself. And one of the things that I do is I take the word caregiver and I pull it apart and I have car and e-giver and car stands for conscious awakening of relationships. And e-giver is about the emotional giving, which it sounds like you guys are really into without, you know, coming out and saying that or being what I call emotionally based, um, in your training. I loved Kelly, when you said you do the shadowing, um, can you tell people a little bit deeper why that is so important um, to be able to shadow and then to double check to make sure that someone's got that support and really is comfortable in understanding that approach? Right, absolutely. Um, we have staff that come to us with all different kinds of experience. There's some people that have been in the industry for decades. And every once in a while, we get somebody who we are the first time that they are doing um, this kind of work. So our, our staff come to us with varying degrees of experience, and we have them start by watching our staff so that they can see the way that we want the care to be provided. Um, and after they watch them do that for one day, then our staff are right there to be next to them to watch them do it to, so that our trainers are the shadow. So that if they're doing anything wrong or they don't understand that they can correct them and catch them on that right away so that once they're solo, they know how to do it. They've read through the care plan. They understand what the specifics are for each individual um, and then are able to execute and carry those out. And that's so important. I, I know, you know, everyone says that they review the individual care plans, but it's difficult in these larger communities Mm -hmm. um, especially with the staff shortages nowadays that are happening. Um, I hear this from families all the time, and I'm sure there'll be some communities that aren't happy that I'm stating this, but it does, it does occur where, you know, you'll ask somebody something and they're like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just covering. 
I'm just covering, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, to cover those numbers and stuff and kind of do the basics. And there's a, there's a huge, huge difference um, in terms of how I I think of, of how a team is built as well um, Mm -hmm. is one of the things that I've really noticed in, in some of the changes just that's occurring in the industry as a whole and not that our larger communities don't serve a purpose, you know, they definitely do um, for many people. But I think that the smaller homes are something that so many people don't even know exist, don't even know that there's an option because they see just these great big buildings all over when they drive by and think, well, you know, that's that's where I have to go. Uh, and there is a, I think, a, a, a major difference um, in terms of the feel of a community, small versus large. Um, Someone earlier had just mentioned, I think walking down the halls and adjusting to that, you know, when you're not used to it, when you're used to living in your own home. Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Dottie, go ahead. No, I I just want to go in on that. Give a shout out to Rhonda because it was because of her that we found Rothma even though we had lived in the community, but we had never heard of Rockma mm-hmm. and we didn't know anything about it. And like you say, we just knew the big places that I didn't want to put my husband in. And uh, this was more like home because um, our home is a stucco home and this is a stucco home, just a, a home, you know, small setting where it was all family here. And I just, it makes me feel so good that my husband's last days was spent where he wanted to be. And it was surrounded by love and family. Oh, that's nice. And, and you're exactly right. These small group homes, they just blend in, you know, they, we don't have these huge signs, you know, flashing lights outside and, and big parking lots and all of that. And so it's, it's hard for people to necessarily know that they're there but that's the whole point of just living within the community is well. may god bless Rhonda because she was the one that uh got us set up for this for Rockma. okay great for those of you that are just tuning in you're probably going to want to rewind and catch this conversation from the beginning we are talking with uh, staff in Rockma homes and um, also people who have a loved one placed there and it is just a wonderful, smaller setting that many people don't know about. And the, the care style, I think, is, is different in terms of the delivery system 
and expectations and things. So you can always go to their website to learn more at RACMA, R-A-K-H-M-A dot org. They are also on Facebook and you can um, feel free to reach out and email them. You can also make a donation. Uh, you will find, uh, if you rewind, their financial model is very different, and they really cater to those that don't have all these funds that are required uh, sometimes when we need care, and they are dementia-specific. So um, all the contact information, of course, is in the show notes there. But um, fascinating conversation. We're going to kind of continue on. We've got much more to cover here. And I'm just so thrilled to have them uh, all with us. Rhonda, now you had your hand um, up. Did you want to add something to what we were talking about before, Rhonda? I do, if I can, please. Thank you. A couple of the things that I could just kind of piggyback on what Leif and Kelly and Dottie have all said about RACMA. And one of the reasons I found incredible value in them as a case manager is that they embrace the uniqueness of each individual way more than any place that I've ever seen. They recognize that under dementia very often is mental health and that does not frighten them. They look at it and say, what can we do versus what can't we do? Um, I think the other thing that makes RACMA so unique is they're seeking to help everyone find a purpose in that family that they've created. And my experience, and again, I don't want to be disrespectful of the larger facilities, but it's really hard to find and feel purposeful. And that's what we all want, you know, and that's what keeps us going as humans. And so it might be somebody sets the table every day there at Rockman. It might be one day somebody brings, you know, so-and-so their juice. It might be that they welcome everybody that comes in, whatever it might be, but Rockma has just taken every opportunity to find each person's purpose within their system. And I think it's just such a unique, a unique way of treating individuals that a lot of times people just don't understand. Oh, I think that's an excellent point that, uh, you know, everyone, like you said, wants to feel purposeful. They want to feel connected. They want to feel accepted. Um, and they want to, they also want to be able to help others, you know, with my mom living with dementia, I saw that all the time that a lot of times, you know, she might get frustrated um, with something, but if, but if she was asked to help somebody that just diverted her right away, she was always willing to help in and, and that calmed her down and that made her feel good. And I think so often that we we forget as human beings we are much more alike than different dementia or not Mm -hmm. um we are all people first and we want to be accepted we want to be loved we you know and we want to help others you know we want we we like living in community um and being recognized for who we are not the disease we have and there's a there's a really big difference in in the delivery of care um from place to place and person to person. And and that includes family members too. I mean, you know, everyone's perspectives are a little bit different in how, how we treat someone, how we care. Um, And I'll, I'll use the example of just my brothers weren't around much because they couldn't deal with the emotions of the disease. And yet I know how much 
after my parents both passed, my dad had brain cancer, my mom had dementia. Um, I, I know they have second thoughts on how they cared or how they didn't care because they know they missed out on an awful lot, but it's, you know, it's too late. And so I love the approach that RACMA has, uh, even, you know, from staff. And I would imagine with families too, Kelly, um, that you prepare them on what to expect and how they are welcomed. Um, so often in communities, people are told to stay away and let them adjust and things like that. Um, what is your what is your policy, Kelly, with family? And then uh, Rhonda, I saw your hand go back up. I'll, I'll go back to you. Yeah, sure. Um, well, we don't have restrictions on family. Um, we also look at it and an, on an individual approach that it's going to be different for each individual and what their specific needs are. Um, but we like to get as much information about the person's routines before they move in, um, as much information as possible so that we can replicate that when they move in, because moving can be a really big change for people with dementia. Um, a lot of the times they will have routines throughout their day that um, when they move, they're not able to keep those same routines and it just becomes very, very difficult for them at that point. Yeah. Rhonda, did you have something else you wanted to say? Yeah, I wanted to well back up a little bit and thank Dottie for the sweet words. But I also want to say one of the beautiful things I saw in many cases at RACMA also is RACMA embraced the family of the individuals who had family, but also created the family for the ones that didn't. But, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia is like many other diseases and it's a family loss and grief. And the way Rachma cares for these individuals and families and invites them to barbecues and different things, invites them to go on field trips with them. I mean, they do everything they can to keep the family intact and create family environments for the other people, as was mentioned earlier. So I just didn't want to forget to mention that. And that's huge. You know, as a, as a daughter, I, I know how important that is um, as well. It, it's, I mean, it's the difference between trusting where your loved one is placed and not. And, and, um, and it just makes it so much easier and it allows people to kind of take in a breath and, and be in their relationship. If it's a husband and a wife or, you know, a son or a daughter or a friend, whatever, but you can just kind of roll back into your relationship instead of being on guard. And I think so often when families place someone, um, they're on high alert and they're looking for problems and sometimes staff don't understand why they're looking for problems. It's like, cause they don't trust you yet. And they have all this guilt. Um, I know I did. And so I went in looking for problems and yet we all know we're going to find what we're looking for. So if I'm looking for problems, I'm going to find them. They might not really be true problems, but in my mind's eye, they are, and I'm going to address them with you. And then all of a sudden you've got this friction between staff and families. And um, when you when you can physically see or hear, or even when staff are calling just to say hi, or connect you to a loved one, or say somebody said a great joke, even though they say it 45 times a day that everyone still laughs. Those are the things I think that melt a family's heart and, and trust you. 
and they can breathe and again you know really get into their relationship and and be able to sleep better at night and then be a better person when they do show up as well they're not as stressed on that so um Rhonda you know how did you first hear about Rock Mahomes yeah so I was fortunate enough to work for Medica as a case manager for um, a while but within my first oh my goodness first few months I had a caseload of individuals and within that caseload I had like six people that were between two of the Rock Mahomes between Joy Home and the I always say Golden Valley but I think it's more Minnetonka area but uh, that home. And I, I had never seen a model like that before. And so when I got to know, and it was right when Leif had started with Rachma as well. And so I learned about it from him and was just so amazed and so impressed and valued how happy the individuals were. And when I attended care conferences, Rarely, if ever, did I see or hear a family member complain. And if they did have something to address, they were in such an environment that it was okay to say, you know what, could we try this or could we do this or can we um, look for a different plan or whatever. And they were just a collaborative team all the way around. Um, So that's how I first met them. And then I wanted to kind of use and abuse them more and more. Um, so when I had appropriate clients, appropriate people that I worked with, or I had the gift of, of working with Dottie and her family and, um, oh my gosh, Emmett was the most dapper man you'd ever see, but it, you know, sometimes it just, it's finding the right place. And when that happened, you're such a grateful person to having people like them and, um, knowing that you're your clients are going to be well cared for and that the communication is going to be effective. Um, I think that's an incredibly powerful thing. Um, So that's how I've been. So lucky now I'm in the hospital and I've been able to share their contact information with others. There's been times when I've called life and I'm like, look, this is what I need. And sometimes it worked out and sometimes it didn't, but, and they're approachable. And so I, I've just tried to find value and share that mission as much as possible. Well, that's that's a wonderful because they need that voice, you know, to to share what they're doing. And I, exactly. I would imagine, too, it's got to make your job easier and allows you to sleep better at night, too, when you know you've got this good match. You know, it has. And there's yep, and there's been times, too. And when I was lucky enough that they would call, for example, and say, hey, listen, we don't have anybody to take so and so to their doctor appointment. I'm like, hey, I'll be right there you know, I'll go with them because staffing is an issue a lot of times. And so there were some of my clients that I would go to their doctor appointments with them and, um, and then report back to the nursing team or report back to the manager of the house. And it just became such a, uh, a team effort. And you knew that it, you were getting as much as you were giving and those individuals were well cared for. And, um, there's many days where I, I wish I could have the opportunity to work with them even more. Yeah. Well, and I think too, that team effort and that volunteerism and, and kind of jumping in is much easier when it's a comfortable atmosphere and there's trust and there's respect and um, everybody knows they're doing what's best. Um, and that's, a, that's a pretty beautiful thing to, to be part of. Uh, and creating kind of those raving fans um, is really important 
And I think it lifts staff up too to be part of a team like that. Uh, you know, and that's that's been my experience in just when I go out and train and stuff when people are talking about things that it's it's a it's a whole different type of of atmosphere with that. Um, Dottie, I wanted to ask you because you're one of the the families, you know, mm-hmm. that Rhonda worked with and stuff. And you, you know, told us a little bit about what your experience is like. How did you feel initially when Rhonda approached you about Rachma? And did your husband have a response to that at all? I don't know where he was in the disease process. Well, he was kind of pretty bad at the time. And Rhonda asked me if I wanted a fancy place or a place where he'd be well cared for. And of course, I wanted a place where he'd be safe and well cared for and uh, and smaller. I didn't want a large place and no fancy place or anything like that. And so she said, well, I think Rachma would be the best place for him. And when I found out, I said, well, where is it? Because I had no idea and found out it was right here in our community. We're just 10 minutes away. And um, so, uh, and I had a very good experience from day one. I mean, they were just like a family here and they cared for him and I could come every day and even have meals with him. And then we could sit and watch TV. We watched the football games and, you know, different things like that. It was just like, just like a regular family. Oh, that's nice. That, yes. That, and and to feel welcomed at the meal table as well. Because yes. that's just such an intimate, everyday experience. It is. You know, it for is. People, that's really nice to be able to to share that and you know, sitting and watching, you know, TV, people will kind of go, well, what's that all about? And it's like, you know, to me, you know, with my mom, again, one of those intimate things that we take for granted, we don't realize how much peace we get just sitting next to somebody. Right. And it can, right. Be, in, it can be in total silence. I mean, it doesn't even have to have the TV on, but, and not a word has to be spoken, but there's just that that kind of energy that passes and calms us and we know we're together. Right. And during the good weather, I used to take him for walks. You know, we'd walk around the neighborhood on the nice days. But then as it got, uh, he got further along, he didn't want to get Rockma House out of his sight. So we would start down the street and he'd stop and he'd look back. And I knew then I said, okay, honey, we can turn around and go back because he just didn't want to get the house out of his sight. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be close. Well, and that says a lot Mm -hmm. in and of itself, you know, that that was home and that was, you know, kind of a security blanket for him, you know, and 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 he felt home. That was his home and he didn't want to leave it. So I, it made a good feeling for me because I knew that he liked it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and when they are they are comfortable and like where they are that's a good feeling for the family yep oh definitely definitely because then you don't go home feeling frustrated and full of angst and what are we going to do and is there something better right. out there and oh god I, 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 
yeah, all of those things that go through our heads. So that's, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, Tanya, do you want to tell us about your experience with RACMA? Sure. Um, it's been amazing. Um, my mom previously was in more of an institutional type and she did like it there when, uh, but it got to the point where she needed memory care and uh, she was on elderly waiver and they didn't have a room for her. And so we just discovered Rachma on the internet and um, discovered that they had an opening and the individualized care that my mom gets and not just my mom, everybody gets, it just blows me away. Um, it started on the day of admission when they asked tons of questions about what's her favorite color and what's her favorite food and what's her favorite music and what are her activities. And at the time that they were asking all of these questions, I actually thought, huh, I wonder how much of this they will actually use. And it turns out they use it. Yeah. Um, on the day, well, before, well, on the day she moved in, they prepared for her her favorite meal. They had her favorite movie playing on TV. They gave her a bouquet of fresh flowers that were her favorite color. And then later they put her favorite music on. And they welcomed her like she was family. And it was sincere and warm and because that move-in day is stressful. And it was like my mom was queen for the day. That was her day. And it was, they were giving her all of her favorite things. And then later on, there was a time when she became a little more um, agitated is too strong a word, but anxious and needing, um, needing to be calmed down. And Leif sends out an email saying, um, this is her favorite book. And on this page, this is her favorite chapter in the book. And it helps if you read that to her and she will calm down. Um, the food, it turns out that I guess my mom is one of the few people in the house that likes like fresh salads and, um, fresh fruit. And so I thought, Okay, well, I'll just have to make sure that I bring that in every once in a while. But once they realized that that was my mom's preference, uh, one of the staff went out and bought a bunch of fresh fruit and fresh salad just for my mom. And so like, she's the only one apparently that likes that and that will eat it. And the other day I was just visiting sitting around the dinner table, my mom was eating and one of the other residents was eating. And the staff member who had cooked the meal turned to this other resident and said, now don't worry, I took all of the corn out of yours because I know you don't like corn. And I made sure to add extra spice because I know you like spice. And I just, that just warms my heart to see that mm -hmm. because that's kind of the norm there. Um, and I could go on about other things, but um, to just know that my mom is being treated like family. And like you said, I'm not in that angst of, oh my gosh, you know, is she, 
she being cared for? Are they being kind? Are they, it, do they know when she needs help? That was another difference for her. She's not down a hall in a room somewhere. She's in this much smaller space. And I'm not worried about, oh, does she need help? And the staff don't know it because they're way down the hall um, helping somebody else. No, the staff is always pretty close because that's just the nature of the home. It's small. Yeah, and that's such a cool thing to witness when you see staff that really understand your loved one and what their their needs are. I don't think um, people understand the power of those favorites, you know, and I mean, just we have to think about ourselves. We have to slow our minds down and think of, gosh, if somebody bought me, you know, flowers in my favorite color or made me my favorite meal or, you know, whatever it might be, the, the music, the show, um, how that just automatically would calm us down and make us feel like we're at home, yeah. like we belong, like, like this is, this is our, this is our home. This is our community. This is safe. And mm -hmm. as dementia progresses, so often people don't feel safe. They don't feel like they belong and they, they can get agitated and, and things but you know when there's agitation that is happening just like Dottie was saying you know when her husband started looking looking at the house you know we're too far away you could you could feel that angst you knew mm -hmm. as his wife that's what he needed but it sounds like staff really understand that too by I'm going to give you a little more spice I'm going to pull that corn out for you <laughs> you know you're knowing those things Th those mean a lot to all of us when we're treated yes with respect and somebody really gets us um there's a there's so much to that that i think is overlooked um mm -hmm. many many times so um thank you thank you so much for sharing that dale what's your experience been uh wow it's been it's so interesting to hear all of this stuff i'm actually somewhat overwhelmed by it um my experience was was very much what everybody has already said. Um, it was an, an incredibly um, different experience than I thought it would be. Um, I, my friend John had been in, uh, had a Parkin, advanced Parkinson's and then had dementia then kind of developed towards the end. And um, so he was in a Parkinson's home before that and they were wonderful, but they weren't able to deal they that was not their charge was to deal with with uh, memory care so coming into rockma i was a little scared to begin with because i didn't know what that was all about i didn't understand what a locked unit meant all that kind of stuff it was a because he was always trying to leave and and it was just really kind of scary for everybody but i i kind of got the uh the the, the first thing was an ele kind of like eleva elevator speech i guess from uh from leif's predecessor and it was like, this is sounding great. This is this people-centered care thing. I'm, I'm liking this. This is, this is really wonderful. And then the kind of the tour of the building and how small it was. And my God, you're right, Tanya, that, that questionnaire was huge. And I thought, I hope I know enough about him after 60 years. Do I know all these things? I'm not really sure. And, um, sh you know, sure enough, people remembered those things. Staff used those things. And, um, 
so that that part of my experience with John was unexpected and and wonderful. As a matter of fact, if anything, the elevator speech was kind of undersold it <laughs> in a way. Um, the uh, the amount of care and the um, the the well, the number of times that say Jeanette and I spoke as John was moving through his disease and 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 it was progressing fast and it was he was very agitated a lot, and sometimes it could be a very difficult time with John. There was never a time where I, I, I mean, you, you know, you're, we're all human beings. We're going to sometimes get frustrated and, and like, ah, you know, what's going on here? Never a time though, where I thought anybody, anybody wanted to give up on him. And we kept trying. And I, by we, I mean, Rachma with me, but it was Rachma who saw him and saw him in that term, in that way that we use these days as we should about, they saw him. And when you're not, used to, they don't, nobody at Rockman knows John's background. They don't know what kind of a person he was. Nobody has that history. That's why it's so hard sometimes to have somebody put somebody into a a facility where they need help because you feel like those folks don't know anything about that person. And Rockman, everybody saw his humanity, (laughs) saw the fullness of him as a person, even though they didn't know him and he could be difficult they always saw him as a complete human being and that was powerful Mm -hmm. that was powerful that's that's really neat um i had the experience like that with my mom and she she got to a point with her dementia where she she used to watch the show jag all the time and she thought that was really what was going on in politics. My mom was a big politics lady. And so she would get really upset with the staff when they didn't know what was going on with Jag because people need to know what's going on in the world. And she'd get a little aggressive. But what I loved, and my guess is Rockman would have done the same thing. Um, the staff, there were three of them that were just absolutely exceptional they didn't call the nurse and say, hey, we need a PRN. Dorothy's, you know, really getting agitated. We need to calm her down. They got together and said, okay, one of us every week is going to watch JAG and we're going to log it in her file so we can so we can have a conversation with Dorothy and keep her calm. And I just started crying when I heard that. I mean, it was like, that was just such a far reach compared to the norm of, of what staff will do. And yet I've heard so many stories like that here, just in this short time we've been talking, those, those are unique um, and they don't happen all the time out there. And, and they are so precious, not just to, the person that's being cared for, but the effect it has on the family. And I, and I also think the effect it has on staff being able to be creative because in some places staff can't be creative on how they're going to approach what it is they're doing. We micromanage things pretty well these days. And um, really, in my opinion, helps build that team support and makes work fun. You know, because they can really see and feel the difference they're they're making there. Um, Dale, one other thing I wanted to ask you was how you felt Rachma was in terms of working with um, 
your friend who was on government assistance, uh, you know, versus a, a paid, you know, a private pay person? Did you feel a, a difference? Because sometimes people do feel a difference um, in a community. Yeah, I, 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 I felt, I felt no difference. Um, and I'm just to give you a, a little piece of background because that's kind of important to the experience John had there. Um, John, John used to be a person of means. He had made a lot of money at one point in his life and, um, was never going to want for anything. He had, he had more than sufficient funds, um, was very, unlucky and that in 2008 he was in property he was in property he was in, in in real estate and everything crashed and all of that money went away and he at that point was already into his into his parkinsons and he was worried about later on in life not having enough money to do the private pay thing all through to the end and he was petrified petrified of going on to medicaid or the elderly waiver all through his life, all through the end of his life, he was so worried about that. And because he was certain it was just going to be, nobody would accept it except the most, you know, institutional, you know, nursing homes or something. He was always afraid of the nursing home piece. And, and, um, and I, I promised him I'd do everything I could, but, you know, he, he, he was like totally terrified of it. However, as once we kind of needed to move him out of the, the Parkinson's home he was into, and we, we lucked, I mean, I, I just feel so lucked into RACMA and realized that so many of the beds were available as uh, for, for elderly waiver. Um, I, because I, I kind of was starting to get a sense of what RACMA was. John was a little too far along to probably appreciate it quite as much, but he, the first thing, and literally when he moved in, and I was there when he moved in, he said, this isn't a nursing home, is it? And I said, no, this is, this is an assisted living um, uh, group home that I think is going to be able to meet your needs really, really well, John. And he just, you could just see him kind of relax and say, oh, good. Wow. And so he did, not, he did not live out his fear. And it's, I was not sure that that would happen, honestly, by the end. Wow. So, so ending up with Brachma was a blessing. That's that's a really powerful story. And so many people worry about having enough funds to be cared for and be cared for well. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this has just been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I want to go around and just give everybody one last chance if there's anything that you want to add. Jeanette, is there anything that we haven't said about Rockman that people really need to know about? I don't know that there's anything specific. I'll quote one of our residents who came to us from the streets in and out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital. But when you meet him now at Rockma, it's like, how's it going? And he'll just say, it's a beautiful home. I'm so grateful to be home. And I don't think other, I think the, the glory of it being in a home setting means a lot. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, Rhonda, how about you? Anything you want to add? I think I would just like to thank Rachma for doing what they do and for treating people the way they do and for taking it with a can do. Who are these people? Um, and knowing who they are outside of that diagnosis to me is an incredibly powerful thing. Wonderful. Thank you. 
Dottie, how about you? Anything else that you want to say? Yes. Um, I would like to say I, I'm very appreciative of what Rachma does. Thank I thank them for what they do. But also, I would say when my husband came here, we were private pay. But before he passed, we were on elderly waiver care. And there was no difference in the service. There was no different, no change at all. And I really, really appreciated that. But I also would like to say they didn't just take care of my husband. They also took care of me. They gave me a birthday party. Oh. And I thought that was, that blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how nice. That that is that is absolutely so Rathma is a lovely place. It's I can't say enough about the staff and just everything about it. I love it. Kelly, anything you want to add? Um, one of the things I was thinking about when both Tanya and Dale were talking is one of the things that we do to share about the residents with our staff so that they can learn more about them. Um, is we have a like and admire page that we have up on the wall in each of the residents' room that is a list of things that people like and admire about that resident. And we put it there to be a conversation starter with the staff so that they're able to have conversations with the resident about things that are meaningful to them to help them be engaged in their care and cooperative and move with it. And I think that that has been something that's been really helpful. Oh, that's that's neat. I, I like that. Um, Tanya, how about you? Anything you want to mention and wrap it up? Just that I'm so thankful that we found this place for my mom. And um, I really do see it as an answer to prayer. And um, I just rest well knowing that she's really well taken care of. Wonderful. Thank you. Dale, anything else that you want to add? Just again, I want to just mention about the staff. I What you all do, and I don't know how you do it, but Kelly, you were speaking to it a little bit. Your staff is amazing. How you how you vet them, how you must find them. You know, there must be some sort of intuitive sense of whether somebody's good at this. I don't know. Um, it's it's an incredible, incredible staff, and it is um, it is truly a peace of mind to know that there's there's people there taking such good care of the people we care about. That's that's wonderful to hear. We don't always hear that <laughs> that. Um, nowadays. Um, Leif, how about you? Anything you want to add? Yeah, just a few things. I mean, I think it's been so wonderful to hear these stories and um, just thank you all so much for sharing them. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, we're a, a unique model like this comes with a very lean budget when we have, you know, 88% of our residents on waivers. And so, um, you know, if you're interested and willing, you know, I um, like Lori mentioned, I recommend you go to our website. Um, that's rachma.org, R-A-K-H-M-A.org, um, and click on the donate button. And um, yeah, this was wonderful, Lori. We really appreciate this opportunity. Well, in wrapping up, I, I mean, I've learned a lot, I, and my heart is lighter. You know, I just feel happier just knowing more about your communities and the work that you're doing. Um, because I, I, you know, I worry about this, uh, this demographic, um, specifically because it hits so hard, you know, in my, in my own family. And, uh, it's important that people with dementia are treated with dignity and respect 
and they feel a part of, you know, a community. And that was very evident today um, from all angles, which is really, really fun to hear. So, you know, I ask our listeners all the time, you know, to don't just take this information and keep it to yourself like click and share, not because I like the numbers that doesn't, that's not what it's about. It's about sharing information with people in your own sphere that you might not even know are dealing with this. People need to know options and they need to know it hopefully ahead of time. (laughs) That makes transitions a little bit easier because so often people, you know, are scrambling in crisis, which makes it even more difficult um, to deal with. So um, please, uh, please like, click and share this just to, to help people uh, find out more. And maybe they're not in Minnesota, um, but maybe there's a, a community like this in their state. Um, or maybe it's something that they want to get people together and, and start doing something as well. Uh, maybe it's something that someone is going to be sparked to say, gosh, I need to put this in my estate plan. I want to, I want to give a portion of, of my planning, you know, to Rockma because they're doing good work, or maybe they want to, you know, just make a a one-time donation. Um, Maybe they have a, an in with a corporation that will match. I mean, things are endless, you know, use your creativity in terms of how to help. Um, Leif, I wanted to ask, are you looking for volunteers at all? Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, our, our volunteer base took a little bit of a hit um, with COVID and um, we haven't gotten all of them back. And volunteers in an organization like this um, where we're, we don't necessarily have, you know, three people on staff doing activities, you know, a, the uh, it's so important to, to bring in those volunteers. Um, and again, that would... Um, I would direct you to the website and you'll uh, meet Kelly along the way. Okay, wonderful. So thank you. So again, for our listeners, be a giver of hope, like, click and share, uh, pass the website along again, rachma.org. Uh, they're also on Facebook and we've got the email and uh, donation buttons and, and a phone number you can actually call and, and get a live person. What a thought, you know? <laughs> You know, that's so not common these days. So again, I really appreciate everyone's time today uh, with this and um, gosh, keep up the good work. You really are making a difference in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. So again, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you um, enjoyed the show as much as I did. Um, And don't forget to check out alzheimerspeaks.com. Check out all of our free educational resources. There's a ton of them there. Also, you can go to our book tab for Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care, which is a children's book. But it it knows no age boundaries at all. We've gotten wonderful comments from all ages on that. And then, of course, Dementia Map where you can find other uh, great services, products, and tools there. Bye-bye. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. 
So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.